Hey, what's up, everybody? We're back with another NBA breakdown. We had a short three-game slate yesterday. Uh, things went pretty well. The games overall went sort of the way that uh, that I thought they would, except Indiana's B team scored a bunch of points on Golden State and actually ended up winning in overtime. So I thought that game would go under, and obviously it did not, but generally pretty good. Today we got a bigger slate again, so we're going to walk through all these games, try to get through them in the next half hour or so. Um, I do want to tell you up front, too, so I, I was supposed to have surgery a couple weeks ago, and that got pushed back because I tested positive for COVID. The reschedule is for today, so I don't know how immobilized I'm going to be. We're going to try to keep these breakdowns going, but it is possible there's going to be a little bit of a break here um, where I'm not able to do them, but I'll get back to it as fast as I can. Uh, so hopefully that will not be too long uh, with me out. Also got a shout out, uh, Indiana University, big win over Purdue yesterday. So obviously this is an NBA thing, not college, but got to wear the hat in honor of the big win. So let's jump into these games here. Uh, we'll get this up on the screen. The first one up is the Clippers at the 76ers. Philadelphia is minus eight and a half and the total is 213 and a half in this game. In terms of injuries here, we have Morrison Batum are actually both game time decisions for the Clippers. And, and both of those, especially if they're both out, I think that could make a difference because this team has, a, has difficulty scoring. They've definitely scored well in the last two games. They scored 128 and 139, which is super uncommon for them. But Morrison Batum are both pieces who can help them on the scoring side a little bit. And so I think that's problematic if they both sit. But again, they're just game-time decisions. On the other side, for Philadelphia, Seth Curry is a game-time decision. So that's something to keep an eye on. So I mentioned how the Clippers have scored more the last two games and just wanted to go and look at why that is because they've been so atrocious on offense that it's really crazy for them to be up there at 128 and 139. I mean, just massively over what would be expected. And the big reason is their shooting, which isn't surprising, I guess. But their field goal percentage in those two games has been 53.6 and 54.9. Their season average is 44.9. So they've been about 10 points over their average in terms of field goal percentage in these last two. Philadelphia allows 44.6% from the field at home. And so you would expect to see the Clippers shooting come back down to earth a little bit, partly because they can't sustain that high of a clip, but also because Philadelphia is a decent defensive team. Um, the Clippers had only hit 50% from the field twice in 15 games before these last two. So it just definitely is not a common thing. And I think an anomaly that they'd be that high two games in a row. They did shoot well from three point range as well, 38.5 and 50. So obviously the 50 is a big one, uh, which is where they hit 139 points season average. They're shooting 35.8. So really not terrible. But Philadelphia allows 34.6 at home. So again, we just expect to see these numbers come back down towards season averages or potentially even below as sometimes when teams are up really high, there can be a drop um, after that. So when, when the Clippers shoot around those average numbers, they tend to score 102 to 112 points. So even that's a little better where they had been having a lot of these games under 100. So I just expect this to fall back into sort of the average or normal range here and, and probably a little bit on the lower side. So maybe 102 to 108 points today for the Clippers, something like that. Um, it seems like uh, the Clippers are getting a lot at plus eight and a half. However, Philadelphia has tended to, to win games convincingly when they win them, and they're on a pretty hot streak right now, though they do kind of take games off here and there. But I just expect this to be a bit of a letdown spot for the Clippers after they've been scoring so well. 
Uh, in terms of trends on this game, Philly has really strong ATS trends um, in season. There's some trends to the under. And then the Clippers are one and five in their last six against the spread at Philadelphia, two and nine in the last 11 overall between these teams. So really pretty solid trends leaning toward that Philly side as well. I still think eight and a half is, is a lot, and it might be better to watch live to see if that number drops, but I do like Philadelphia here over the Clippers. Next game up is the Lakers at the Magic. Kind of a crappy game, to be honest. I mean, the Lakers have been playing so bad, and Orlando is never good. Uh, can't really score points and generally hold other teams from scoring too many points as well. One of the things to look at here is the pace. So the Lakers play at the third highest pace in the league, 100.48. But lately, they've been playing a little bit slower. They've been under 100 in four out of their last five games and eight out of eight out of their last 10. So when you get up to a 10-game sample size, I think it become, starts to become a little bit more significant and something worth paying attention to. Orlando tends to play at a pretty slow pace, and so I think um, that could pace this game down overall, which, uh, which obviously leads to less points being scored. Orlando's not generally putting up more than about 105 to 108 anyway and many times especially earlier in the season they were under 100 nearly every game at home and if we see a pace down spot again here then I think it's likely that Orlando doesn't put up many points in this game the Lakers uh the biggest stat for them and I hit on this in a recent uh a recent video podcast whatever is when they shoot 33 percent or better from three-point range that's when their scoring is quite a bit higher and Orlando is allowing 37.5 percent from home so putting those couple things together, I do expect this not to be a super fast-paced game, but I think if the Lakers can shoot decent, they're going to end up being able to pull away in this one, probably get up to that like 112 to 115 mark and holding Orlando down toward 100, maybe a little bit over. The spread being five and a half, I think it's a pretty decent spot for the Lakers. However, they're so inconsistent that they're really not a team I like to look to very much because of their inconsistency. Also on the trends, um, this is another thing that would push me away from doing anything with this game. Bad against the spread trends for both teams. Uh, but the Lakers are 1-3-1 and one in their last five at Orlando against the spread, 2-6-1 and one in their last nine. So they just haven't fared well in Orlando, and um, they haven't been lighting the world on fire. And so, well, they are still, I think, the more talented team at this point in time. Long term, we'll see about that, but... Um, and, and they could pull away. I think this probably tends to be a, a fairly low scoring game. Like I do like the under 220 and a half, and it, but I still do like the Lakers here. Next, we go to the Thunder at the Hornets. Charlotte minus nine and a half, 221 and a half total. Uh, you know, if you've been watching this stream, that one of the things I've been paying attention to for a while now is that Charlotte has been not playing as well on offense, but has been playing pretty well on defense. They're still winning games, but they're not necessarily winning them uh, by scoring a ton of points. They're often winning them more by holding other teams other teams down defensively. So even recently here, they beat Boston, but they beat them 111 to 102. Uh, they beat the Knicks 97 to 87. Uh, they beat Philly 109 to 98. They beat Milwaukee 103 to 99. Even the game before that against Milwaukee, where they also won, it was still only 114 to 106. I mean, in the in that last uh, six game sample there, which is a short sample, but that the highest total was like uh, 220. So 
I do think that maybe the books are catching on a little bit. This total's a little bit lower than you'd normally see a Charlotte total. Um, however, they're playing the Thunder, who on the season just don't score any points. And um, Oklahoma City did have this two-game blip where they scored 130 and 118. And I realize how that can affect you because it actually affected me. When I went to look at Oklahoma City's numbers today, I expected that they were trending positively in terms of their scoring. But it's really not a positive trend. It was really just a two-game sample where they jumped up, scored really well, and then they've dropped down. Because other than that, they've been at 105 or less in nine straight other than that two-game blip. So I think Oklahoma City is the same team. And an NBA team is just going to go out and they're going to score sometimes. But it's not going to be consistent when they're not a good team. Charlotte's defensive rating, they've been under 109 in defensive rating in seven straight. And two out of those seven were under 100. So again, just supporting this idea that Charlotte's playing good defense. But lately, we haven't been able to trust them in terms of their scoring quite as much. <clears throat> Charlotte has won nine out of their last 12 games. So they're on a great streak in terms of winning. Their margin of victory in those games has been eight or more in all but one. And then they had three games that were exactly at eight and the others were above that. So when we look at this spread at nine and a half, it is a little bit high, um, and, and it does depend a little bit. One of the things that happens with Charlotte sometimes is they don't really show up in games that that there's not a reason to get up for. So playing Oklahoma City, uh, I, don't, I didn't look, but I doubt this game is nationally televised or anything. It might be a spot where Charlotte doesn't fully show up either. Uh, in terms of trends here, really good against the spread trends actually for both teams. Uh, trends to the under for both teams. And then Oklahoma City is actually 4-0 in their last four against the spread at Charlotte. And the under is 5-1 in the last six between these two teams. So the, the trends don't support where I would go with this one. But I do think if Charlotte shows up at all, they should be able to win this game. And, and the cover is a little bit iffy for me. It's probably not something I would play at 9.5 because I can't trust Charlotte to show up. And I do expect a lower scoring game again. So the under 221.5, I don't hate that would also potentially be interested specifically in Oklahoma City's under. Um, but really, neither of these teams have been scoring great in the longer term. So I think the under would be the best spot in this game. But I would think that Charlotte would win here. Next game up is one I like a little bit more. We've got the Heat at the Hawks. Atlanta's minus one and a half. And the total's 220 and a half in this game. Miami had uh, quite an exciting game. I actually didn't get to see most of it. But Butler got two quick technicals and got tossed. Uh, Hero went down. Hero's still going to be out. And so Miami actually came back and was still able to cover in that last game, but it was a little sweatier than you'd like. Uh, today, Hero and Lowry are still both going to be out. And that that is that does hurt Miami some. I think having one of them in as a ball handler and another scoring threat is really helpful. But Miami's got a lot of good pieces, and I don't think it's it, it totally destroys their chances. On the other side, Capella's a game-time decision, as is Gallinari. So we've talked about Capella a lot on here and how it, when he comes back, it actually is really impactful for Trey Young. Trey's actually been tearing it up the last couple of games even without him. But with Capella back, he plays better when Capella is in. So if he's able to play today, I definitely think that's something to pay attention to and likely is a positive on the side of Atlanta. These two teams have played twice recently. On January 12th, Miami won 115-91 to 91 at Atlanta. And on the 14th, they won 124 to 118 at Miami. So Miami's won two straight against Atlanta. One was lower scoring and one was really high scoring. 
um, especially Atlanta scoring was what was really variable. Now, since then, Miami got Bam out of bio back and Jimmy Butler is playing full time again. So I think those things really help Miami defensively. Um, offensively, maybe it's more of a wash with Hero and Lowry out. But defensively, I think it helps a lot. Atlanta has been coming around very recently here in terms of their scoring. They've been shooting the three a lot better, a 36.4% or better in their last four. Before that, they had been under 30% in three of four. So had just been shooting three terribly. And, and you'd expect that to come back around, right? And it has. So they've definitely been shooting the ball better. Um, Miami does play, uh, switching over to looking at pace, Miami plays at the second slowest pace in the league at 9562 and Atlanta hasn't fared tremendously against slow-paced teams. When you look at the teams that are bottom five in pace in the league, Knicks, Heat, Mavericks, Raptors, and 76ers, uh, Atlanta is one and five against those teams, and they've scored 108, 118, 91, 87, 98, 96, and 90. So they've been under 105 out of seven games. And this goes back to like the beginning of November against teams that are bottom five in pace in the league, especially with Lowry and Hero out. I think that only throws water on the fire for Miami slowing this game down and making it kind of a slugfest. So I do expect this game to be played at a little bit slower pace because of the lineups today. Also, it's worth knowing that Atlanta has still been terrible on defense. They've had a defensive rating of 114 or worse in seven straight and 11 out of 12. So while their offense is coming around some, their defense is not coming around. And I don't know why that would change today. <clears throat> um, the other thing I'll say is in the last game versus Atlanta, where the score was 124 to 118 and Miami still won, but Miami had a defensive rating of 124.8 in that game, which was their worst since December 4th. They allowed 42.1% from three-point range. Now, Miami doesn't defend the three incredibly well in general, but I would not expect them again to have a defensive rating up at 124.8. I think there's going to be some positive regression, at least back toward their season average as a pretty decent defensive team. Looking at trends, really good against the spread trends for Miami, really bad against the spread trends for Atlanta, and some trends to the over uh, on both sides. So what I like here, man, I, I like the heat again. It's a little scary going for three in a row in the same matchup. And Atlanta has been coming around on offense. And so that is something worth paying attention to. But I just think Miami is going to be able to slow it down. And some of those numbers I shared around pace and just the overall quality of Miami, I think that um, – in terms of recency bias, you, people might even feel a little bit badly about the heat after that last game because they didn't just go out and pull away. But again, uh, Butler got tossed and, you know, Hero went out in the middle of the game. I think they'll be able to come out with a good game plan here. And especially with Atlanta favored, I mean, I like Miami on the money line here. Uh, in terms of the over-under, I guess I would, would lean toward the over, but I think that's a little tougher one for me to, to nail down. Next game up, we've got the Blazers and the Celtics. Uh, injuries here, obviously Lillard still out, Powell still out. And then Smart is a game time decision in this one. So we know that Portland's been terrible away from home. 5-14 and 14 against the spread away from home. Boston's only 10-13-1 and one against the spread at home, though. So not exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, let's see, where did I have this? Portland, oh, here we go. So with McCollum back, it's only been two games. But Port it, it has not helped Portland offensively so far. In fact, 
I kind of thought that it would mess up their rhythm for a while. And I do think they'll come around and obviously he's helpful long-term, but they haven't scored a hundred points yet with McCollum back. And they're going up against a Boston team that really likes to make things pretty grimy. And Boston can score a lot here and there, but a lot more there's their games are sort of these uh, sloppy defensive, uh, lots of missed shots, turnovers, that kind of stuff. And so I don't think this is a great spot for Portland to get right offensively. On the other side, they have been playing better defense lately. Their defensive rating, 111.9 in their last game. So not fantastic, but 85.9, 106.1. They did have a game then that was 140.7. I'd have to look it up, but that might be the worst defensive rating of the year so far. Uh, 110.7 and 90.6. So just to say, uh, Portland, I think the reason I share that is for a while when McCollum and Lillard went out, part of what I was relying on is that Portland was probably one of the worst defensive teams in the entire league. I still don't think they're a good defensive team, but the point I'm making is that they are a little bit better. And I think that tends to happen. Teams figure out how to play with who they've got in. And so um, I don't think this is a spot to look for Boston to go out and score 130 or something because Portland's been doing a little bit better. <clears throat> um, leaning toward that thing of maybe not a lot of points being scored in this game or being a sloppy game. So Portland has played really slow and very slow versus slow teams. So toward those teams that are like bottom five to seven in pace in the league, they've played around a 92 pace, which is just snail pace. Boston on the other side has been under 97 in pace in 12 straight games. Um. Their last three at home, they played at 89, 96, and 96. So, you know, not slowest in the league, but the slowest average on the whole season is like 95.4, I think, for the Knicks. So even 96 is a pretty slow pace. So I really do expect this to be a pace down game again and probably pretty sloppy. And for that reason, I would look to the under here, though 213 and a half obviously is a low number. But I think we could see a game where Portland stays in the 90s and, and Boston's, you know, in the hundreds somewhere. Um, the only thing that I would that would give me pause on that is Boston's offense. Portland is giving up 49.1% field goal percentage away from home and 38% from three. So when Boston is around those numbers, I just looked at 48 and 35%. They've been under 100 twice, 99 and 99, but 112, 119, 105. So again, not numbers that are lighting the world on fire, but but decent offensive numbers. And if they do get up to that 112, 115 mark, obviously that makes this under a lot more iffy. Looking at the trends, bad against the spread trends for Portland, very bad against the spread trends for Boston, leans toward the under. And then in the matchup specifically, the over is actually 5-0 and in the last five between these teams. Maybe something to push against that underlean. And then Portland is 1-3-1 and one against the spread in the last five between these teams. So, you know, not horrendous, but not great. Um, I would look for Boston to be able to cover the spread here, but they're a team that I don't trust in general. So I would not be playing them at minus 7.5. If in-game you could get that down more toward 2.5, 3, something like that, then I would be interested. But this is just a stay away for me at the current numbers. All right, we move on, getting through a large slate to here today. Next week up, we've got the Bulls and the Bucks. The Bulls obviously still very shorthanded. Ball, Green, Jones, and Levine all still out. They do have Caruso back, so that's helpful. On the other side, Milwaukee is finally healthy. Lopez is still out with the back surgery. That's going to be a while, but they got Holiday back. Their wings are back. DiVincenzo, Connaughton, you know, they basically got their full complement of players other than Lopez. 
And I've talked many times on here about, for whatever reason, it seems like Milwaukee is a team where if they have one important piece out, Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, uh, even DiVincenzo to some extent, they struggle. And when they have everybody in, they're the team that you expect them to be. One of the top teams, if not the top team in the East. And so with everybody back, that's more of what I expect to see from Milwaukee now. One of the big advantages in this game is that Milwaukee has a decided rebounding advantage. Chicago's second to last average on the season at 42.5 rebounds per game. And they've actually been under that number in four out of their last five. So they are just not rebounding at all. Milwaukee is second best in the league with 47.2 rebounds per game. And they've been over that average in three out of the last five. <clears throat> in their two most recent games against top rebounding teams in the league, like top five rebounding teams, Chicago lost by 13 and then 42. They scored 106 and 96, gave up 119 and 138. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying they're going to give up 138 points to the Bucks today, but what I am saying is I think this is a pretty lopsided advantage toward Milwaukee in a game where I would lean toward Milwaukee anyway because Chicago's so shorthanded and Milwaukee's back to full strength. Um, I mean, DeMar DeRozan has been great, and Chicago still has some decent pieces, but I think they're just outmatched here today. Um, the line is so wide, it's hard for me to take anybody against the Bulls at minus nine and a half. So again, I haven't made a play here. I would maybe watch the live market. But if I was going to take anything, I would lean toward Milwaukee, even with that wide point spread. I think this is a really good spot for them. I think they have some decided advantages, and I think the Bulls could be in some significant trouble in this matchup today. Looking at the trends, pretty bad against the spread trends for both teams. But then matchup specific, Chicago's 4-9 and nine against the spread in their last 13 against Milwaukee. They are 6-2 and two in their last eight at Milwaukee against the spread, though. And the under is 7-3 and three in the last 10. <clears throat> so if anything, though, um, if I was going to look at an under, I would look at the Bulls team total under more than the game under because I think it's possible that Milwaukee goes off offensively here. Um, so that's what I'm looking at in this game. Next up, uh, one of my least favorite teams lately, the Raptors. I mean, they got me excited because they were playing a little faster, scoring more points, all that stuff. And then they've just been a dud, man. I, I don't even like to watch their games. They're so, so grimy, so slow, so frustrating. Like you look at this team that has all this athleticism and speed and they just will not speed the game up. And honestly, I don't understand it because it doesn't seem like it pays off for them. It's not like they're on some crazy winning streak and one of the best teams in the league playing slow. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse is a great coach. I am not an NBA coach, so obviously uh, he knows more than I do. But it's a tough one for me to wrap my mind around. The Raptors, uh, Gary Trent Jr., game time decision today. Birch is still going to be out. So not major stuff there. But when we look at this game, it's really just what I alluded to. Toronto has not been scoring. They've been under 100 points in four out of their last six, 105 or less in six out of their last six. Um, they just make every game a slugfest right now. On the other side, then, you have this Washington team that's been playing super fast and scoring a ton of points. So this is absolutely a contrast in styles today. Um, they've been at 102 pace or better in five out of their last 10 and only under 96 once. So they're just they're just playing really fast and actually playing really well. I mean, if you go back here, let me pull up Washington. Um, their their last number of games here at home, and they're at home again today, 118, 117, 110, 112, 
122, before that 111, 124, 119, 110. I mean, it's been forever since they've scored under 110 points at home. And that's the kind of game Toronto wants to make it. Now, I have to say this is a game I'm probably going to stay away from because I just have such a hard time getting a read on how teams are going to respond to playing Toronto. And obviously, obviously Toronto is talented and Washington doesn't always play great defense. So Fred Van Vliet could have the chance to go off here. And maybe we see Toronto put up another one of those games where they are at 115 or better, like we saw for a little bit, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago. But at the same time, I can't trust Toronto to do that. And I think if the Wizards are able to get this game paced up a little bit, it could end up being a good spot for them. And so it, it just, to me, it depends on how the game gets played. And that's hard to predict ahead of time, I think. In terms of the trends, there are really good against the spread trends for Toronto and bad ones for Washington. Toronto's 4-1 and one in their last five against the spread at Washington. And the under is four and one. And I do think those things that make sense for me that they would go together. If the Raptors are able to slow this down, keep the Wizards from getting out and running, then I think the game stays low scoring. And in that case, I think the Raptors would be very likely to win. So if you think that's going to happen, I think that's a good spot, Toronto and the under. Um, but I just don't feel confident either way in terms of how the game flow will go. Next up, we have the Nets and the Spurs. <laughs> Brooklyn playing away again, so they get to keep Kyrie, even though they don't have Durant. Claxton is a game-time decision, and that does matter because Claxton gives them a nice athletic inside presence, so something to keep an eye on there. Um, the Spurs are finally healthy again. They've really got everybody back, and I've talked about this a lot of times, but they're actually a team I do like a decent amount when they're healthy. DeJounte Murray has been unbelievable this season, and when he has those uh, good three-point shooting wings that he can pass the ball to, it opens up the court and creates space for him to drive. And then also he's able to get those guys open shots. And so with having everybody back and healthy against a Brooklyn team that doesn't necessarily always play great defense, especially with Kyrie, and I know that on the season they are a good defensive team by the numbers, but I mean, th they just don't always show up defensively. I mean, even if I go to them and look at their recent history in terms of points allowed, 118, 114, they did have a 105, but then 130, 112, 114, 113, 121. You get the point. They're giving up 112 plus points pretty much every game. And in this game, I think they're, they're going against a team that's top five in pace in the league in the Spurs, has all their people healthy and tends to play decent at home uh, when they've been healthy. Uh, Brooklyn is worse on defense without Durant. So that plays again into this idea that there could be a lot of points scored in this game. 109.4 defensive rating with Durant, 114.7 without him. So just really not good. Um, Brooklyn in their last six games, it's really interesting. They've really jumped up and down in scoring. They went 108, 138, 109, 120, 107, 119. So the question is, does that trend continue and do they bounce back down a little bit here? I will say if they bounce back down and only score around 110, I like San Antonio in this game. And that's tough to say because they haven't been great lately. Um, but San Antonio plus two, a two and a half, if they can muster any kind of defense against Brooklyn, I think is a good look. Now, if they can't muster any defense, we got to talk about this total. 232 and a half is so high. Uh, again, it, it's just so tough for me to actually take these totals when they get over 230. I think it's another one you could watch live and see if you can get it to bump down to 225 or something. But I don't think Brooklyn offers a ton of resistance, and I'm not sure that San Antonio does here either. So I can definitely see both these teams scoring between 115 and 120, 
which if we get there, that puts the over at a decent chance. I definitely would not play the under here. I think this is likely to be a high-scoring game. And again, if San Antonio can muster any defense, I actually think this is an okay spot for them. In terms of the trends, really bad against the spread trends for Brooklyn. Brooklyn's 2-7 and seven in their last nine at San Antonio against the spread. However, they are 5-2 and two in their last seven uh, against San Antonio in general. The over is 4-1 and one in the last five at San Antonio between these two teams as well. So there is some precedence there for that. So uh, I, do, I do like the over. This number just seems really high. Um, and I think I like the Spurs, though. I don't know if I'd like them enough to make a play on them, but I think this is a good spot for them today. Next up, we have the Grizzlies and the Nuggets. Got three more games to get through here. And I, by the way, have seven minutes, so we're going to be done in seven minutes no matter what. Um, Memphis has Anderson, Bain, Brooks, Tyus Jones all still out. Denver may have Bryn Forbes. They traded for him, and he's a game-time decision to play today. Denver has just been giving up a lot more points, 107 plus and nine out of the last 11. Uh, I'm sorry that they've scored, but they've allowed 107 or more in nine out of the last 11 at home. Denver's shooting has been crazy and maybe unsustainable. They've been at 49% plus from, in, from field goal range in every game uh, where, they, where they've been over 120 points, 35% plus from three-point percentage. And Memphis plays decent defense uh, against shooting, and they do have Bain out, which I think hurts them on the defensive end. But I, I expect Memphis to show up defensively today. Um, after losing the last game, I don't. Memphis is a team that is on a roll, and I think John Morant is really competitive and likes to win. So I'd expect them to show up today. Memphis is a fast-paced team. And when Denver plays fast-paced teams, they tend to have high-scoring games. The lowest total they've had in their last 10 against top five pace teams in the league is 220. And the total here is 221 and a half. Um, and that was only in one game. All the other totals were over 220. Um, Memphis has played over 102 pace in six out of their last eight. So they're just playing at warp speed right now. And Denver has kind of been indulging that lately and playing faster, scoring more points, giving more points up. So I have to say that I do like the over in this game. I think that 221 and a half is a low number uh, for this game. And then I do like Memphis here as well. It does hurt them to have Bain out, but I still don't trust Denver. Um, and Memphis has really good against the spread trends here. Denver has really bad against the spread trends. Um, Memphis is 5-1-1 one, and one against the spread in the last seven between these two teams. The under is 5-1 and one in the last six. So, you know, that's something that goes against my take on the over there. But I think this is a good spot for Memphis and a good spot for points. All right, next to last game, Pistons and Jazz. Maybe we won't spend too much time here. Uh, not the best game of the day. Utah does have Mitchell and Whiteside out still, so that's definitely something to pay attention to. Utah has actually been really bad in very recent history here, and I wondered why that was. Well, they've gone under their season average in rebounds in eight out of the last ten. Um, only under four out of the last ten in field goal percentage, but under six out of the last ten in three-point percentage. So they've just kind of been worse across the board in most categories here in the last ten games. Detroit, on the other hand, has been better. They're actually five and five in the last ten straight up. Don't look now, but Detroit is 500 in their last 10 games. It's crazy. Well, why have they been better? Um, they've been over their season average in field goal percentage in seven of their last 10 games, over their season average in three-point percentage in five of their last 10 games. They're still not good from three-point range. I mean, their season average is 31.5%. So they're a pretty bad three-point shooting team, but 
they've been shooting better overall. Um, this is a hard matchup against Gobert to have a high field goal shooting percentage. So um, I don't expect Detroit to necessarily to be able to replicate what they've been doing. But this is a team that's just been playing better basketball, going up a team that, against a team that's been playing pretty bad basketball, who's still without their star in Mitchell. In terms of the trends here, really bad against the spread trends for both teams. The under is 6-1 and one in the last seven between these two teams. And the way Utah's been playing, I definitely could see this being a lower-scoring game. If the Pistons can't get it, get it going from three, they're not as likely to score a lot of points. So um, I would have to lean toward Detroit plus 13.5. I think that's way too much with how these teams have been playing and without Mitchell. And I'd lean toward the under, but again, not the strongest spot for me. All right, we're down to the last game, and I've got three minutes to wrap it up, so let's get to it. Uh, we've got the Rockets at the Warriors, Golden State minus 10.5, total of 228.5. Houston is on a two-game win streak, so how about it? Detroit and Houston getting to it, two of the worst teams in the league. Golden State's going to be without Green again tonight, but I believe that Clay Thompson's also going to sit on the back-to-back, and in the short term, I actually like that. Uh, the last game Clay sat out, Golden State beat Chicago 138 to 96. It's the only good game that they've played recently. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying they're going to go out and score 138 points again or that Clay is a detriment long term. Clearly, that's not the case. But what I am saying is in the short term, he's playing in shut, such short stints that I think it makes their offense really choppy. And I think they're better off without him until he can come back and play a full complement of minutes. And then they'll be better off with him. Now, Golden State did allow 110 in regulation to Indiana's B team last night. But before that, they had held opponents under 104 out of the last six and hadn't given up more than 108 points since December 4th. The max all season is 113. So this is another spot where if you looked re at just a one-game recency bias, you might think, oh, man, Golden State's given up 100 110 to Indiana's B team. What are they going to do? tonight against Houston, who can definitely put up a lot of points. Well, I think what they're going to do is they're going to play better defense and they're going to hold defense Houston down defensively. Houston can score a lot of points, but they're still not a great team and they can be shut down offensively. And I think this is a spot where Golden State probably steps up and does that. Um, Houston has rebounded the ball lately. I think that if Houston stays in this game, it is because they get a rebounding advantage uh, on the inside and that keeps them in the game. Bad against the spread trends for Houston. Okay ones for Golden State. Houston is 0-3-1 in their last four against Golden State. So that head-to-head -head matchup trend there favors Golden State. So with how Golden State's been playing lately, it feels a little bit tough to play them because they're not scoring the ball well at all. Um, they're playing okay on defense, but I actually think this is a great spot for them. I think it's a. I think after getting kind of humiliated losing to Indiana without any of any of Indiana's good players last night, I can't imagine that they like that. And I would think they'd want to come back with a strong game to get today. They've continued to play good defense at home even without Draymond Green, and so I think they step up and I think they probably blow the doors off the Rockets here. I even though it's a wide line, I like Golden State minus ten and a half in this game. Over under, I'm not quite sure because I don't know how many points the Rockets will put up. Uh, if I was going to play an over, it would probably just be the Warriors team total and not the whole game. All right, we got through them all. Uh, as always, if you can give me a, a rating, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, like or subscription, uh, subscribe to the channel on YouTube, like, retweet on Twitter. Guys, I really appreciate that stuff. Obviously, this is a lot of work and I love it. Um, but yeah, appreciate those things from you. 
Hopefully I will be back soon. We'll see how the surgery goes. Uh, until then, hope you have a great day, a great week, that all your picks go well, and I will talk to you on Twitter.